Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So again, we're in Luke chapter 12. Skip with me down to verse 13. And uh, we'll get into God's word this morning. It starts in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The, <clears throat> the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods to lay up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. A couple interesting points in this, this passage of scripture. The first is that there's a, a, a little bit of disrespect even happening from the person answer, an, asking the question, teacher. Now we all know that Jesus was more than a religious teacher or another Pharisee or Sadducee, but he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so here he's just being approached as any other teacher. And uh, you ask, why would anybody ask Jesus to s settle a dispute of an inheritance? Well, back in Jesus' day, it was common for, for people who had uh, disputes with other Jews to come to the religious leaders and ask them to sort that out. And um, that's why Jesus is being approached. But he's being approached as just any other teacher, not as somebody who has authority. I also think, of course, it's interesting that this... In this parable, this rich man's having this little uh, moment to himself, and he's just like, I said to myself, self, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. But Jesus here is getting to the root, right to the root. As soon as the man asks the questions, he says, take care and guard yourself against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. He's getting right at the heart of the man's sin. Because the inheritance is left to the older brother. And here this guy is saying, he should split it with me. And Jesus is telling him, look, don't be covetous of what your brother has. It's his responsibility to take care of the family. It's his responsibility to take care of you. But don't you be coveting what your brother has. Covetousness is like a race that never ends. Desire for more and more, regardless of our need, just consumes people. Someone once asked a rich man, how much is enough? And the rich man replied, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Covetousness has led to broken relationships. It's robbed the rich and the poor, starved the church of resources to fund their work around the world. And God commands us to avoid covetousness. He, avoid, he commands us to not be covetous, right? To not want what our neighbor has, not his wife or, or 
her husband, right? Not to want another, but also their possessions. And, and this is in the law of Moses, and Jesus here is affirming that. I think maybe it's something we should pay attention to. That Jesus is speaking to us about what it means to have covetousness in our heart. Many of us, at times, find ourselves hoved, uh, hemmed in by covetousness. Its destructive power is often not realized until it's totally consumed us with too much work, too much debt, and depression that follows that feeling of never measuring up, always coming up short. Today I want to talk about three keys that Jesus gives us to live a life free from the bonds of covetousness and find peace in his provision. The first key I want to talk about is being rich towards God. Be rich towards God. This is how Jesus ends his parable to the, to the, to the man who's uh, got a covetous heart. He says, be rich towards God. How can we be rich towards God? You know, I was thinking about that this week. How, how can we be rich towards God? Well, we can invest. We can invest. How many of you look forward to retirement one day? It's okay to raise your hand. This is not a sinful thing to look forward to retirement. I also look forward to retirement, and I've invested. I try to invest as wisely as I possibly can, but sometimes those investments don't pay off. Sometimes they do better, sometimes they do worse, and as of late, they've done more worse than they've done better. But when we invest in our relationship with God, when we invest in kingdom things, that will always reap a generous return. Somebody say amen. If we invest in our relationship with God, abiding in Him, then we will have a great, great reward. We can invest in our relationship with God through prayer, talking with God, having a living relationship with God. I was talking to a member of our church uh, last week as I was kind of sneakily working upstairs last week. I was talking with a member of the church and he was telling me this testimony of how his prayer life has been completely been transformed. He grew up a Roman Catholic and, you know, very rote prayers, you know, and uh, not having this conversational prayer life with God that so many of us enjoy. And he was talking about how just it was moving him to tears on a daily basis, his prayers. How many of you are grateful that we have a relationship with a living God, that, that, that we can have a, not only a physical uh, response to God, but an emotional one as well. We can feel his presence, we can sense his presence, and as we pour our hearts, we, that realness demands the emotional response. If something's dead, there's no emotional response. There's no, you know, when you're praying to stone or, or, a, or a crucifix, there's not an emotional response, but when you're talking with the living God, when you're having a personal conversation, in a personal relationship with God, there's an emotional response. Amen. We can also invest in, in, in our relationship with God through his word, all right? Going through the devotionals every single day, right? I don't know if you know this, but SMCC provides a devotional on our website that goes along with the Sunday sermon and expounds on it and challenges us further, along with growth groups. Everything here we try to make work together. And uh, you can get in God's word. Know him, abide in him. And we can also invest in our relationship with God through obedience. Obedience is key. Because whatever you say no to God, that's where God stops speaking to you. You know? Is anybody ever had an obstinate children or, or, a, or a subordinate that works for you and just keeps telling you no? And eventually you just want to stop 
asking him to do anything, right? You just want to just stop having a conversation with him. You know exactly where it's going to be. Now, I'm not saying God's like us. We know he's not. But when we start telling God no, God will, in my experience, God stops speaking until I start being obedient to where, uh, what he's already told me. He, you know, be obedient in that first. We can grow in our relationship. The whole word that summarizes what it means to invest in our relationship with God is the word abide. The word abide, to find our being in him, to be under the shadow of his wing, to be in him. We can be rich towards God also by investing in others, investing in the children of the church, investing in serving others. You know, often uh, the ushers and the greeters and the sound guys and the live streamer and everything that's happening in church gets overlooked. But the truth is we couldn't do what we do without these people serving you, serving you. And this is so important even now during our uh, reduced numbers in the physical church over two services and so on. We need volunteers and, and you can serve others uh, in church. There are two kinds of service in the church. There are that, there's that really sacrificial service that takes you out of the main sanctuary, either downstairs with the kids or, or walking around in the parking lot or whatever that is. And then there's that service where you can be in here and enjoy the service still while still serving. These are two different kinds of service. Both are equally important, equally important, but not equal in sacrifice, I would say. Wouldn't you agree with that? That there's different levels of sacrifice uh, in service in the church. I encourage you to find a level where you are sacrificing something. Sacrifice something. It should cost you something. You can also serve in the community, which we really encourage you to do. Um, you know, Kelly up there doing sound is super active in the community. He's coaching uh, football. He coaches wrestling, uh, involved in a lot of things in our community. Volunteer of the year last year at the Garrison. And so uh, we encourage you to do that because our, inf our influence needs to reach outside these walls. Amen. Another thing you can do is invest in giving. This is also being rich towards God, investing in uh, through your giving. And this is the part that makes, our, makes us squiggle in our seats, kind of makes us uncomfortable when we talk about giving. But if you've been here any length of time, you understand that I'm not shy about talking about giving or finances or, or money because everything we have belongs to the Lord. Amen. And uh, you can invest in giving to the church. You can sow into the kingdom here. And every single year, uh, sometime around February or March, we go through exactly where the church spends their money down to the last detail. And we have very open uh, conversations about that. If you have any questions about the finances of the church, you can always ask me or more to the point, you can ask Stacy, uh, who knows exactly where those funds go. Um, you can invest in the community uh, by helping people who are in need. And you can invest in the nations by sowing generously into uh, missions and giving to missionaries. Now I'll say this about investing in others uh, with your time and investing your finances. I, the Bible by example always says that we are to be taking care of the people inside the walls of the church first, but not exclusively, right? We should be sure that nobody in our church has a physical need. We should be making sure that our time is first given to serving the church because her needs come first. But that doesn't mean that we don't serve outside the church. That doesn't mean we don't give to parachurch, uh, parachurch ministries. It means that this is our priority system, right? That we do, we take care of people inside the church first and then reach out.
My second key to avoiding the trap of covetousness is trusting in the Lord's provision. It says in Luke 12, 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. We are to trust the Lord in his provision. Amen. Amen. This means trusting the Lord with your career, with your job. Do not backstab, betray, or gossip about your boss or coworkers in an effort to disparage them that you might get a promotion. Trust the Lord with your career. Pray for your supervisor and your coworkers, even the ones you cannot stand, maybe even more so. Pray for them. Pray that God would advance your career, not these other worldly methods. Even though they may be employed against you, don't give in to that. Your identity is in your relationship with Christ. It's not in what you do. It's not in your salary or your pay grade or your performance evaluations. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. You may be a colonel or a teacher, but you are always a Christian colonel. You are always a Christian teacher. That is who you are. Your identity, your identity is solely in Christ. Trust the Lord with your career. Trust the Lord with your future. One thing that we see here all the time is anxiety about what the future holds, whether it be a PCS or a retirement. We see it all the time. What, what's, what, I don't know what's going to be in front of me. I don't know what my job holds for me. I don't know what retirement's going to be. What am I going to do in retirement? It leads to a lot of anxiety. I want to trust you. I want to challenge you. Trust the Lord with your future. Invest wisely, but do not hoard. You know, I've said in many advisory council meetings, uh, as Jordan has said, as Scott said last week when he received the offering, that the giving in the church has always been outstanding. And since the inception, even when we thought we were taking on huge financial risk, God has always met those needs. And to the fact that we have a substantial savings account, which our church needs to maintain because of PCS seasons and so on and so on, but you know, we, we have a threshold because I've told the council, I don't want Jesus to come back and we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. We just don't need it, right? Let's sow that into other ministries. Let's sow that into to, uh, other missionaries and, and churches. Let's sow that money because when Jesus comes back, where's that gonna go? Nowhere. It's just gonna be stuck in some bank account for somebody who didn't get raptured to take and confiscate. We don't want that, okay? Invest wisely. Do not hoard it, which is what this rich man was doing. He was hoarding it. He didn't need it. He wasn't considering that. You know, it never even occurred to him to share the wealth he had. Oftentimes, Jesus puts wealth in our hands that we would share it with others. Not oftentimes. All the time. The difference between power, the way the world uses power and the way the Christian uses power is that the Christian is to use their power, their influence, and their resources to bless others. The world would teach that that's all for you. That's all for you. Hoard it up. Know that your future is in God's hands alone. You can worry about it. You can fret about it. You can even plan. But your future is in God's hands, whether it be retirement or a PCS or whatever. Whatever challenges or traumas you may be facing, your future is in God's hands. Also, whatever comes next, pray that his will be done. I'm often approached for prayer, and that's a good thing. I'm glad that you trust your pastor to pray for you. 
But often what you're asking me to pray for is maybe not exactly what I'm praying for. Because in all things, we should pray that God's will be done. You may have plans. You may know exactly what you want. Me too. But if we don't end our prayers, but God, your will be done, maybe we pray amiss. Because the truth is, God knows what you need. And what you need is often better than what you want. God knows exactly what you need. So pray, Lord, your will be done. Also, we need to trust the Lord with our anxiety. Luke 12, 22 says, do not be anxious about your life. To worry is to sin. No doubt about it. You say, well, it's just, it's human. Exactly. It's sin. To despair is to turn your back on God. We all worry. Yes, we all worry. That's true. And it's also true that we all sin, right? Worry is sin. So what do you do? What do you do about it? Well, we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes, about what we do when we sin. But I want to encourage you to turn your anxiety, instead of worrying, fretting, just panicking, turn your anxiety into motivation for prayer. And I don't mean the prayer that just gets down on your knees, says, God bless this thing, and I'm, then get up and run around with, like a chicken with its head cut off again in anxiety and worry and fretting, but turn it over to the Lord. Pray earnestly and give your anxiety to him. The third way we can avoid covetousness and sin is to be kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. Determined to discern God's will in every single circumstance of your life, no matter how great or how minor. Ask questions like, Lord, what would you have me to do with this bonus? Or God, what would you have me to do with this COVID-19 stimulus check? What would you have me do with it? Lord, what should I really be doing with my free time? Lord, how do I tell my boss I need to stop working 14 or 16 hour days? Lord, how do I make more time for things that you said are important for me? Be kingdom minded. Discern God's will in every circumstance of your life. You should also determine to keep the Lord first. Jesus modeled this when he would sneak away for prayer. I put the sneak in quotes because Jesus is Lord. He can do whatever he wants. But he made it a point, and the Word made it a point to record that Jesus went away to alone to pray. See, Jesus firmly understood what very few of us grasp, that the real work of the ministry is done on our knees, not standing before people. I can tell you that when I come and, and, and preach a weak sermon or a, a sermon that I can just tell doesn't hit home, most likely it's a result not of delivery or preparation, but of prayer. I hadn't prayed enough over that sermon. I hadn't, I hadn't come into this house and prayed over these seats. I hadn't taken the, my due diligence in prayer because power in the pulpit comes from prayer. Power in ministry comes from prayer. I don't care if you're working with preschoolers or you're preaching, it comes from prayer. But maybe the preschool teachers need more prayer. <laughs> Let nothing distract you from following Jesus. Let nothing distract you. You know, sometimes distractions are good things. They come in the form of good things. Financial windfalls, promotions that just require that you work more and more 
promotions are a good thing. But if our job and our finances and our children and our career become, which are all good things, if they become God things, then they become bad things. We need to keep Jesus first. Let nothing distract you from following Him. Thirdly, as we look at what it means to be kingdom-minded, we should determine to live sacrificially for the Lord. And the word sacrifice makes us uncomfortable, but I think that the people in this room are a little bit more familiar with sacrifice than maybe your average church. But we have to determine to live sacrificially for the kingdom as well. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? What you treasure, you will sacrifice for. What you value, you will make sacrifices for. That's the truth. And I want to ask you this morning, what has following the Lord cost you? I mean, really cost you. You look at what you've received from the Lord in following Jesus. You've received forgiveness of your sins. You've received eternity with Christ Jesus. You've you've received a lot, joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit. But what has it cost you to follow Jesus? What is the last thing that you wanted to buy or experience or do that you denied yourself that you could be a blessing to someone else? C.S. Lewis said, how much should you give? You should give until you feel it, he said. You should give until you feel it. That's sacrifice. And for most of us in the Western world, whether we be German or American, we have to put ourselves in the position of sacrifice. Not like our Christian brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world, like in North Korea or in sub-Saharan Africa right, who sacrifice every single day, who feel the pain of following Jesus every single day. Christians in the Western world have to put ourselves in a position of pain. We have to put ourselves in a position of sacrifice. Not a whole lot of amens there. But I want to tell you that, that uh, it is in our sacrifice where we really learn to depend on God. It is when we give beyond our means that we learn to depend on God. It's when we serve and give up what we'd like to be doing in our free time in order to serve the Lord that we really understand what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to tell you that once you cross that threshold, once you give in to that, once you walk in obedience to that, you will find joy and peace. Because serving the Lord is not a burden. It's a joy. It's a wonderful joy and a wonderful, wonderful privilege. I want to start by confessing that we all, we, I guess close, I want to close by confessing we all struggle with covetousness, all of us, myself included. But we must be on guard against it, determine that we will react accordingly before it gets a hold on us and starts crushing us. But so often we're blind to it, like many other sins, we're blind to the sin that's in our own heart. And so we must be sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we must surround ourselves with faithful Christians who are willing to speak the hard things into our lives. It's that's essential if we are going to prevail against the sin of covetousness or any other sin for that matter. And as I close, I'd like you to just take a moment in reflection. And if that means bowing your heads and closing your eyes, that's fine. But take a moment and allow the Spirit of God to reveal the places in your life where the cancer of covetousness might be creeping in. Pray with the psalmist. He says in 139, 
Psalm 139, verse 23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Can we just pray that this morning? Lord, show us if there be covetousness in our heart. Know our heart, Lord. Know our thoughts, O God. And if there be any grievous way in us, if, cov- if coveting have any, uh, has any rule in our hearts or in our lives, God, would you lead us in the way of everlasting? Amen. If God has spoken something to you about your life, about maybe a covetousness uh, problem in your life, where you're coveting a job or belongings or maybe even another person, how do we react to that? What do we do? You should, number one, acknowledge it. Confess it to God. Confess it. Then repent and turn away. Turn away from that sin. And, and start engaging in righteous behavior that will combat that. And receive, lastly, and this is the, the part that most people forget, and that is receiving forgiveness. Confess, repent, but then we must do the, very, the third step, which is receive forgiveness from Jesus. We hold ourselves guilty while Jesus died on the cross to forgive you and allow you to live free Amen? Amen? Free from guilt, free from sin, free from covetousness. We are called to live free. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.